Chairman Kim and I just signed a joint statement in which he reaffirmed his unwavering commitment to complete denuclearization of the Korean Peninsula. The powerful quake hit right under the northern part of Osaka City at 7.58 a.m., the middle of the morning rush. And Japan become the first Asian nation to beat aside from South America. Hello, welcome to Japan in Focus. I'm Eleni Soltis. Coming up, the revolving door of politics isn't exclusive to Canberra, but we look at why Japan's high turnover of prime ministers is finally coming to an end. I think it is kind of a backlash to that period of, of six prime ministers. It's like, well, maybe we should just stick with him for now. And one female scientist explains why she no longer lives in Japan. Australia has a new Prime Minister. Scott Morrison's rise to the top job marks the sixth leadership change since the 2007 election. The revolving door of politics is not exclusive to Canberra. Japan has also had six different Prime Ministers since 2007. Dr Donna Weeks is an Australian in Japan and a political science professor at Musashino University. She says Japan's high turnover began in the 1970s. One of their Prime Ministers, uh, Sato Eisaku, remained Prime Minister for quite a long time, um, from 1964 through to about 1972. And it was a decision within the party at that stage that that's a little bit long to have one Prime Minister, so we'll, we'll introduce some, some new rules. So the effective rules made it uh, clear that uh, Prime Ministers, people who became the leader of the party, and then Prime Ministers could stay for two terms, and those each term would be of about two years. Sort of back in the days where factional politics in the Liberal Democratic Party were quite important, there was a, a kind of, if I can use the term, gentleman's agreement that no one would stay in that top job for for too long, uh, and each person was going to just have their turn. It kind of rolled through the factions uh, in that way uh, from, say, then the, the late uh, mid to late 70s through until the late uh, 80s. In addition to shorter terms, mm. is it easy to roll a prime minister in Japan? Is it easy to roll a prime minister in Japan? I guess, like anywhere, if... Uh, People think they have the numbers and they have reason to roll a prime minister. They they may well try to do it. I think in all the time that I've been observing Japanese politics, though, until more recent times, it has been a case of this gentle turnover, if you like, of a factional merry-go-round or almost a revolving door, if you like, where handshake agreements said, all right, you've had your couple of years, now I'll, I'll come and do mine. So voluntary um, resignations... Well, voluntary resignations in as much as they'll find an excuse. They'll have a reason. It might be a poor uh, electoral result. It might be... Or poor health in Shinzo Abe's first instance. In his first go, yes. And that's that's about the time. So Abe in his first uh, turn back in 2006, so he came in after uh, Koizumi, who had since uh, Nakasone had the, the longest uh, incumbency, which extended just a little bit beyond those two two-year terms. But that was with general agreement because he had effective popularity. He was quite well known overseas, and that, that played into it a little bit too, I think. So his people knew of him, and they thought, well, we can't 
can't be too bad if we continue. Mm. And that's when Abe came in after that. So Abe first time around was there for exactly one year from the 26th of September 2006 to the 26th of September 2007. Um, but he had low approval ratings at the time and, uh, and basically he attributed to poor health. Uh, then we then had that roll through, uh, which I think you were you're talking about before. We went then to Fukuda, son of a previous prime minister, uh, who also managed a stint from September to September 2007 to 2008. And we went rolled through, and, and Aso was the uh, last prime minister before, of course, Japan, uh, the, the electorate switched to the Democrats in 2009. But even the, uh, the Democrats, in their very short term as, uh, in, in government, in uh, what from 2009 to 2012, mm. went through three prime ministers in very quick flow. That, of course, uh, the tsunami in in Tohoku, the earthquake tsunami, and, and Fukushima all happened, and that had an enormous impact on the government. Well, especially for an opposition party that had come in and uh, yeah. had not had a crack at government for a very, very long time. I think they've yeah. only had a chance on two or three occasions since yeah. World War Two. Yeah, so, you know, I mean, yes, people put it down to uh, a lack of experience, uh, not having the, the sort of connections with the bureaucracy that the LDP had had previously. Although, you know, a number of members of the Democratic Party at the time had strong Liberal Democratic Party links prior to, you know. So I'd, I've always held the view that the nature of that disaster was such that I don't think any party in government at the time would have would have managed it. Um, you know, it was, was just such an enormous, enormous uh, disaster. And so Abe then was able to uh, kind of use that to his uh, party's advantage and campaigning very much on, on the one of the the, the campaign uh, motives that he had, putting it to the people that, well, look, you've tried the Democrats, shown they can't, uh, shunt and can't vote, so come back to me. And lo and behold, from December 2012 through mm. to now, he's uh, he's kind of kept kept the uh, the prime ministership. Donna Weeks is set to be the longest serving leader. So, what's changed in Japanese politics, and how has Shinzo Abe managed to buck this trend? Well, it's interesting, isn't it? Because he's he's not an enormously popular prime minister, but I think there's a, a sense in the electorate that, well, he's there and he's kind of, you know, and I, I think it is kind of a backlash to that period of, of six prime ministers. It's like, well, maybe we should just... Stick with one. Just stick with him for now anyway. Mm. Now, the other critical thing here too is that he has, within the party uh, rules, uh, managed to make changes that have, basically kept him there. I mean, instead of the two-year, uh, two-term two two limit now, um, effectively can go for three-year terms, but he's now pushed for, a you know, an extension of that, which is how, if the numbers that are shaping up at the moment, um, look, is, is he will get re-elected as president of the party next month. We're all, you know, we've just watched what's going on in Australia. Well, we're all waiting here now in, with bated breath for September here in Tokyo when... Uh, when the Liberal Democratic Party goes through the motions now of electing its president of the party and the president, as long as the party is in power, becomes the prime minister. And this is where Abe is about to, to yes, assume his third, uh, third term. Dr Donna Wiggs there. And you're listening to Japan in Focus on ABC News.
There's been a lot of public outrage this month after it was revealed Tokyo Medical University has been marking down the exam entry scores of female students in a bid to keep male enrolments at 70%. The scandal has again raised the issue of sexism in Japan, especially in the workplace and academia. Akiko Iwasaki is a professor of immunobiology at the Yale School of Medicine in the United States. She says sex discrimination in Japan was one of the reasons why she left the country. This is something that many people have suspected, but still I was shocked to see that it was done in such a systematic manner for years. Sexism is rampant in science as well. Um, this problem is not isolated in medicine, and uh, women are underrepresented in almost all areas of science. And the underrepresentation gets worse as you move up the ranks. What has your experience been in terms of uh, sex discrimination? I have either personally experienced or have had my colleagues experience uh, various forms of these um, discrimination, and uh, some of them are more obvious, like harassment uh, or um, even sexual assaults, and that would deter women from pursuing a career in science or medicine. And others are more subtle. There are more implicit bias that people have uh, against women. Um, And other areas of uh, harassment might include sort of lack of support by the senior faculty for promotion or space. So various forms of um, discrimination. Can I ask you, is this a contributing factor as to why you decided to go to the United States? Yes, it's one of... uh, a major factor for me because I've always been interested in science um, since I was a small child and my father is actually a physicist so I grew up in uh, Japanese uh, academic settings uh, and I've seen what happens in Japan and I was never taken seriously uh, as a a future scientist. Uh, Of course my parents are extremely supportive but the society in general um, seemed to kind of undervalue women for these kind of professions. So definitely it was a major factor for me to move. So what do you mean by not taking you seriously? Were they impressions or um, actual words? What exactly? Uh, So some of them are words. Uh, For instance, uh, as you may know, a lot of uh, women are expected to stay home after getting married. And that was something that I didn't want to do. Uh, So it's a social sort of uh, expectation of women. Um, Others have to do with sort of subtle comments like, oh, but you're a girl, why you're interested in math. Or, you know, when I was deciding what to do in high school, people would assume I would go into literature or some other, you know, non-science fields uh, just because of my gender. Um, And being a girl and being exceptional in school is also not an easy thing to do. So all all these things kind of convinced me that I wasn't going to be successful as an independent scientist in Japan. There was this uh, New York Times article talking about women in the humanities versus women in the fields of science for research and the perception that those women uh, were not autonashi, not docile, and were a bit too much like uh, their male counterparts in that area. And, and they were just uh, arguing the case that they weren't attractive to the opposite sex as a result. <laughs> Absolutely. You know, I don't think I would have found a partner <laughs> okay. in Japan because I'm definitely not docile. Um, I speak my mind. So you're not autonashi. I... Okay. 
Not at all. And uh, I have two daughters, and I teach them not to be, you know, <laughs> otonashi either. Um, in fact, it's something that you have to learn from the very beginning, because once the culture imposes such behavior on you, it's really hard to undo it. And so, and in fact, it's one of the very technique used by men to suppress women's opinion as a society is to promote this kind of behavior of docility and, you know, submissiveness and uh, not speaking your mind. And I think that's uh, something we need to, uh, to change in Japan. Did you go to university in Japan? No, I went to university in Canada. Wow. So you made that decision quite early on that I'm going to pursue my education abroad. Yes, that's correct. And I never intended to stay for this long, um, but, you know, life here is uh, easier as a woman in science, and I realized that because every summer I would go back to Japan and, you know, work um, in Japan when I was in college, and this belief that um, I wasn't going to be able to do science the way I wanted to do in Japan was um, confirmed every time I went back there. So, um, yeah, unfortunately, um, that sort of made me stay in the United States or Canada and the United States for a long time. Womenomics, you hear that a lot uh, within the Abe government, but is it working? Do you see any change? Well, um, there's a lot of efforts to change the culture for women in science. And, you know, there are lots of committees and uh, different uh, types of efforts that are underway. But if you look at the statistics of women representation in the sciences, it really hasn't changed over the last few decades. So even though there are initiatives, and maybe it will change the next 10 years, but I haven't seen much shift in uh, representation of women, especially in leadership in sciences. So I think we have a long way to go. When you consider that it was eight to 10 years at Tokyo Medical University, female students' uh, entry exam results were being marked down and perhaps denied access. Well, they were denied access because the university kept that ratio of 70% being uh, male, 30% female. What would your advice be to all those students over all those years who have been knocked back? What would your advice be to those girls? Oh, my gosh. There are no words to (laughs) really comfort them because it's such an injustice that's been done to women. And advice, I mean, what can one say? Um, They've already been denied these uh, opportunities. And I just hope that I do have advice to, you know, the the institutions uh, in Japan who who keep uh, still maintain very low acceptance rate for women. And they really need to look back and, and uh, look at their statistics and, and try to really change the acceptance rate. Because in theory, it should be 50%. Professor of Immunobiology at the Yale School of Medicine, Akiko Iwasaki there. And that's all for Japan in Focus for this week. Jamatane, see you next time. <laughs>